is from Psalm 30, starting at verse 1. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. O Lord, when you favoured me, you made my mountain stand firm, but when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Very good to see you all. I think this is my first time up the front uh, for 2020, so Happy New Year, everyone. It's good to be with you. Uh, Some breaking news. Dave Clancy is speaking at the camp, like James said. He's speaking on the book of Titus. There we go. We only just found that out a day or so ago. So if you're looking forward to the book of Titus, come along to um, church camp. And uh, I hope you're looking forward, like me, to looking at the psalm. I love the Summer Psalm series that we have at St Stephen's. It's a great opportunity to look at a part of the Bible which is quite often deeply personal. A lot of the Psalms really reflect things that we go through in our lives and that's one of the reasons it's been such a blessing for Christians down through the years. You're reading uh, things that we ourselves are experiencing and hearing it put into words often brings um, uh, just some... uh, some great balm to our lives at times that we need it. To do it at the beginning of the year is always good because who knows what this year will hold um, before us and it may well be that this psalm isn't what you're experiencing at the moment but it might be in a couple of months or in six months or those sorts of things. And I thought the, uh, the music team always do a great job but Erin uh, and Grace have picked some great songs this morning that really reflect the wonderful truths in Psalm 30 and uh, I hope you've picked up on that too. Let me pray and we'll um, get into things. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, a beautiful morning this morning. We thank you for Sundays and the chance we have as brothers and sisters in Christ to gather together. And we pray, Lord, that you would be with us now as we spend some time looking at Psalm 30, the psalm of your servant David. And I pray that you would speak to us afresh through these words, through what he went uh, through, through the way he expressed it. And we pray that in spending this time this morning looking at it, uh, you may deepen our love for you we may come to a greater trust and confidence in you, the God who is mighty. And we pray that that would um, uh, encourage our hearts and minds, not just this morning, but through the course of this year and the days ahead. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the last few years, in the movie business, it's all been about superheroes whether it's the uh, Marvel Avenger uh, blockbusters or the DC Batman and Justice League films, superheroes have dominated movie tickets, uh, TV shows, 
streaming platforms, if Disney gets the Marvel ones, then suddenly everyone leaves Netflix to go to Disney. Uh, comics, toys, games, they seem to rule. They're so big now uh, that uh, programs are being made on how the superhero genre has risen to the top of the entertainment business. Now, I haven't watched any of those programs on how they've risen to the top of the entertainment business, in part because I think it's fairly straightforward why they've become so popular today. Uh, firstly, escapism. There's a certain amount of escapism in superhero movies, isn't there? We, we want entertainment in our entertainment. Some entertainment is so preachy and uh, dour and down. Uh, what's more entertaining than fantastical beings with incredible powers? But secondly, there's a, a kind of sense that for all human beings, uh, superheroes are our ideal. They're what we wish could happen. We would love it if we got into a pickle to be able to turn to Superman and have him save our day. We would uh, be really pleased if in our time of need we had Wonder Woman come along to sort things out for us. Because you and I live in a world where we go through difficulties and troubles and often we feel as if there's nowhere to turn. We need help, we need advice or support or security or stability and we look desperately for someone to lean upon, someone who can give it to us, only to find that we're surrounded by no one or by people that are not dependable or who can't do the job or can't be trusted or who don't care about us. You and I live in an age of broken families so we've got less support from family members. We live in a time of corruption and institutions and, of institutions and people in power. So the people that we would often look to for help or support uh, are corrupt. We live in a time of fake news so that we don't even believe that journalism will call things or people to account. We have relationships that stagger all over the place. To whom can we turn when we're desperate for help? Who can we count on? Who can we rely upon? Where can we find the advice the encouragement, the security, the love that all of us will need at different times in our lives. We'd love to have superheroes. The superheroes are selfless. They do things for the other person. They help the hopeless. They have the power to do something about the situations that they find themselves in. But the sad truth is, often for us, we don't, and sometimes we don't even have anyone or anywhere to turn to. Even if we do have someone or somewhere to turn to, the, the support, the strength, the advice we will receive from others will also always be limited in some sense. Partial at best, temporary at best. When things are at their darkest, when life is at its most painful, when the walls feel like they're closing in or the options seem like they're exhausted, where do you go to? To whom do you turn? Well, this morning we're continuing this Summer Psalms sermon series and we're looking at Psalm 30. And we'll see that David is writing about this kind of context. He's got quite a lot in this psalm to say about this world, what it's like, and who we can turn to in the midst of it. Now, I should say, I, just, I only saw the reading for the first time before. It's missing a bit. This is very unusual for our Bible readings. If you've got your Bible open, you'll notice that there are some words written before verse 1. And in the Psalms, that's important. Sometimes with the Psalms, there's an inscription that comes before the actual beginning of the Psalm. And that, that inscription is part of the inspired scriptures. Uh, if you have your Bible open, what you'll see is that this is a Psalm by King David. It's called a song. And in most translations, it says, for the dedication of the temple. 
So it's a song for the dedication of the temple. But the word temple there, that it's translated temple in most of our translations, is not literal. Literally it just says for the dedication of the house. And so this is a song written by David, the the famous king of Israel's history, written for the dedication of a house or the temple. It could be either. So it could be that he's writing for the dedication of the temple, which he didn't live to see, you remember, and so all the worshippers, when they went to the temple, would know this psalm because this psalm was about what the temple business was about. You can imagine it on a plaque above the doorway as they walked in. This is what this place is all about. Or it could be for David's house, perhaps the house that he was going to move into once he'd been living in the caves trying to escape from people that were trying to kill him. And again, it would be the the, the plaque above the door. This is the psalm that sums up what goes on in this house. Either way, do you see, it's a psalm, therefore, not just for David as a person, but for all the people of God. It talks about his experience, but he assumes that this experience will be in general for all the people of God. It will either be them worshipping as they go to the, the temple or all who come into the doors. This is, this is life and this is God in the midst of that life. And so it's supposed to be something that we can relate to, understand, be encouraged in. And this psalm is that. I'm going to look at the psalm in two sections because there's a middle section and then there's a section on either end, the beginning and the end. And it's really two sections, the one in the middle and the two on either end are the same. So we're going to look at the middle section first, verses 6 to 10, and I've called this section the God to cry out to. The God to cry out to. Start reading from verse 6 if you can with me. And there's a sentiment here I'm sure we all understand. David writes... When I felt secure, I said, I'll never be shaken. O Lord, when you favoured me, you made my mountains stand firm. Here's a description of life for David. He's at a point in his life where everything's going well and he just assumes it will always carry on this way. He will always be safe and secure, never shaken, the mountain always firm. And that's very true to life, isn't it? When we're in those periods of life when things are going well, we don't even think that things may change. We, we, we must know in our head that they will, but we don't think it or do anything about it. We don't think about that our health will deteriorate as we go on. We don't think about the relationships that we're enjoying at the moment will change or end as we go on. We don't think about the fact that accidents could come at any moment and change things, that circumstances will change. We just live life happily. And for Christians... In particular, it's this period of life when drifting often happens with the Lord. Because things are going so well, we don't really think about much else. We're less thankful to God, we're less thoughtful towards Him because everything's okay. Easy circumstances often combine with a careless outlook. Those two things often go hand in hand. Easy circumstances and a careless outlook. I pray that they don't for us. If you're in a period in your life when things are going well, rejoice in that, but be thankful and thoughtful. Be thankful and thoughtful because then you won't drift. Then you'll be prepared for whatever's around the corner. Because it never lasts. Not in this fallen world. Those periods of life are great and to be rejoiced in when we have them, but they never last in this world. And something happens to David. Halfway through verse 7, something changes. He was at a point where he thought nothing would be shaken, but now he is shaken. Halfway through verse 7, we don't know what particular life event it was that David goes through, but we know from the rest of the verses it was hard, it was, uh, it was painful, and it upset his life. 
But when you hid your face, he writes, I was dismayed. God hid his face. Whatever's happened to David, it feels like God has turned away from him in it. He feels like he's all alone. And again, this is true to life for us. We have, we have problems in life all the time. But some are so heartbreaking. Some are so guilt-inducing. Some seem so consuming and shameful, they're in danger of breaking us. That's David here. And when we're Christians, the added pressure is we can feel all alone. That's David here. When you hid your face, where are you, Lord? What are you doing? And so in verse 8, David calls out to the Lord. He cries to him for mercy. The action, notice, that David takes when he's low, when he's feeling this way, is to turn to the Lord and call out to him. Verse 8, To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction and my going down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. Can you picture it? David feels like God is hidden. He feels alone. He says he's dismayed. So he calls, he cries out to God for help, for mercy. Again, we don't know what's going on in David's life at this point. This may have been David feeling guilt after he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba. Lord, please have mercy on me. It may have been some of the awful, painful family breakups that we know David went through. It may have been the time in his life when the enemies were literally trying to kill him and he was seeking his own protection in life. It may have been one of the times we read about in 1 Samuel where David was so low spiritually and doubting and discouraged. But whatever time it was, he called out to the Lord. He cried to him for mercy. This world can be very lonely and people don't know where to turn. And it's incredible to think that I mean, we live in an age where there's so many ways to communicate with people, more than ever before. And we live, most of us live in urban areas where there's so many people living in such a small kind of confined area and yet people are more lonely, I would think, than ever before, thinking they've got nowhere to turn, nowhere to speak to. If you live in Gotham City, you put up the bat signal. If you live in Metropolis... Superman hears everything. That sounds creepy, but you know what I mean. You've got people who wear capes and tights to turn to. But in Christchurch 2020, you may have nothing. And you may have no one. But this psalm reminds us we do. And we've got someone far better than those that lived in those mythical cities. Cry out to him when you get those periods in your life when you need him. Cry out to him. Call to him. There are some older generations who sometimes struggle to ask for help, struggle to cry out and call because a stiff upper lip and being seen to be soldiering on were, were seen as noble and selfless traits and in some ways they are. But that means sometimes our older brothers and sisters don't cry out to the Lord, do cry out to the Lord. David did, Jesus did. Why would we think we'd be any different? Cry out to him. He wants you to. Younger generations, it seems to me, why should I just pick on the older ones, younger generations seem much better to me at communication and sharing, but sometimes you're so busy crying out to everyone, you can forget to cry out to the one who can do something about it. Cry out to the Lord. Don't just cry out to your friend group. 
Don't just post something online that says something that you're feeling. Don't just uh, kind of call something out anonymously. Cry out to the Lord. That's what David did. And he did it for a reason. Him and his most famous descendant, Jesus, set the example for us. Cry out to the Lord. And isn't it good that we can? Jamie and I have been having some problems with our phone at home at the moment. Sorry to complain about this, but um, it's been going on for about a month. It's been going on for weeks. And it's been quite annoying. Our phone was off for a week and we're still having problems and... uh, You ring someone and then you have to ring again the next day but you can't get the same person and nothing happens. So you try and ring. Sometimes you can't get hold of someone. Sometimes you ring and then you want to get hold of a manager and you can't get hold of them. Vodafone, what are you doing? (coughs) I can't get hold of anyone at Vodafone but I can cry out to the king of the world. I can't get hold of anyone to help me with my phone but I can call out to the creator of heaven and earth. You and I have that privilege. We can cry out to the Lord. Do it. Firstly in the psalm, the God to cry out to. Secondly, uh, last thing in the psalm, the God who is mighty to save. One of the wonders of uh, superheroes is that they're able to do something about the situations that they find themselves in, whether it's by strength, whether it's by brains, whether it's by a lasso that makes people tell the truth. If you were being helped by people in the Lycra Brigade, you were in the hands of people with the skill set to help. It's the same with God and yet more. God is very much like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. A father who, even though we treat him badly, isn't waiting to punish us or kind of get rid of us. He's he's waiting to see us when we come home because he loves us so much. He's waiting for us and he'll run out and hug us when we come. But he's more than that. He too has the skill set to be able to help us in any and every situation. Our God is indeed mighty to save He's mighty to save in a forgiveness, eternal life sense, but he's also mighty to save in the normal pain and hardships of life sense. And every Christian can testify to this because we've been through it at some point in our life experientially. David speaks of this in the beginning and the end of the psalm. You and I would be able to speak of this this morning to point to times in our life when we've seen God at work in us, where we've rejoiced, where we've felt the comfort or the joy or the peace or the strength that can only come through him. That's what David's speaking about in the rest of the psalm. Listen to the imagery that David uses in the first and last part of the psalm. Verse 1, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and you did not let my enemies gloat over me. Being picked up there or pulled out, if you've fallen over or if you're drowning and you're pulled up or pulled out, it's exactly what you need. That's how he's feeling. That's what he's describing. And often it's when others see that and are mocking or scorning or uh, abusing you, that makes it even worse. Not now. The Lord did not let my enemies gloat over me. Verse 2, O Lord my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down to the pit. Here the language is about the healing and being spared from death that God has done for David. His God is mighty to save. And so David encourages all who enter the temple or all who come into this house to sing praises to this wonderful God. Verse 4, Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Do you see what David knows? 
The good that the Lord does for you will far outlast any of the problems of this life. The good the Lord will do for you far outweighs any of the problems of this life. His anger a moment, his favour a lifetime. And we can all relate to that nighttime morning image, can't we? It's a great image. All of us have had hard nights. Nights where, I'm not talking about bad nights, I'm talking about hard nights, the worst nights, the nights where we feel it will never get light again, the nights where we feel like something's changed that will never be right again, those kind of nights. And yet the sun does come up again and for the Christian, the sun, not the sun in the sky but the son of God, the son of God makes sure that the last word will be the rejoicing of morning, not the weeping of night. He makes sure of that for his people. They're great images in the psalm, great to hold on to and remember in your heart and in your head. Now the images continue in the last two verses of the psalm. Verse 11, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. I love the word wailing there, it's not just crying is it? Wailing is sobbing that can't be stopped. It's uncontrollable, but here it turns to dancing. Sackcloth was what you wore. It was the material, the coarse material that someone back there worn when they were going to have ashes poured on their heads because they were either demonstrating penitence because they'd done something wrong or mourning. But the whole thing is it's about grief and sadness. But now they're clothed in joy. Not the sackcloth anymore, but joy. So much joy that the silent heart in verse 12 now sings to God. I love that phrase. I love that image. There have been only a handful of times, but there have been a handful of times in my life where I've felt so weighed down by a particular pain or problem at that moment, I can't talk and I don't want to be around people. My heart is silent and you're just sitting with it. You're just uh, with it. But the Lord worked in David in such a way that his silent heart couldn't help but sing to the Lord now. That it was, my vision of it is it was just spontaneous. It just kind of flew out of him, singing to the Lord in joy. And again, I, I get that. There's a, there's, a part, there's a lot of Christian songs I'm not very keen on, personal confession time, but I love some, and some I love deeply. The Rock of Ages, on the right day, and with the right musicians, and we've often got the right musicians right here. Thank you, St. Stephen's. There's a part in that song which I can't, I almost can't stop from singing at the top of my voice as loud as I can, as high as I can, probably too loud, probably too high, but it just comes out of me because I'm singing it rejoicing in the God who gave his son Jesus for me. I'm singing it rejoicing in the God who calls me his son. I'm singing it rejoicing in the God who's won for me a future that I don't deserve and I sing. And that's what David's describing here, from silence to song. That's what God's worked in him. That's what God's done through him. Because David's God, your God, my God, is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. And he continues to work in the lives of all his children. In salvation, but in all of life. I'm going to wrap up in a minute, but let me, let me give a word to any here at the beginning of the year who may not know God in this way. Cry out to him because there's nothing else in this world that you can turn to. There is only him. Cry out to him. He's the one that makes the difference in life. 
and you'll see what it means that he's mighty to save if you come to him. You'll see how good he is and how wonderful he is. When you finally know what salvation tastes like, it's sweeter than anything else. When you know what it is to be forgiven, then you finally realise the shackles you've been carrying with guilt and shame. Because forgiveness in Jesus is so good. I saw this, the new um, Star Wars movie the other day and Molly and Laura and I went to see it. And I, Without giving any spoilers for the new Star Wars movie, there's a character in the new movies. Is it Kylo Ren? Is that the guy with the... Yep. Uh, he's done, so Kylo Ren has done terrible things in his life, earlier on in his life, and they eat him up. You can see it over the three movies. They eat him up. He can never escape what he's done. And he keeps going into uncontrollable fits of rage and people aren't sure what's kind of set it off. Anyone who's suffered from guilt knows what's set it off. There are often times in life when you blow up at someone and it's got nothing to do with that person and nothing to do with the conversation that's been happening. It's everything to do with how you're feeling about yourself and what you're wrestling with and struggling with. That's Kylo Ren. And he doesn't believe that he deserves anything good because of what he's done. And he doesn't believe that anyone who used to love him could ever love him again. And in this movie, he meets a loved one and he finally gets forgiveness. And the whole thing happens without words, the forgiveness part. And despite the lack of words, everyone in the cinema gets it because we all know the wonder of forgiveness and the difference it makes, the freedom it gives. We are weighed down by guilt, but when you know you're forgiven, everything changes. Our society struggles with guilt and shame. It doesn't know what to do with it. So it tries to say you don't have to feel it or get rid of it, it's not your fault. Or it tries to do all the, We have a shaming, shaming culture today. You're not allowed to shame. So you're not allowed to fat shame and make someone feel bad for being overweight. You're not allowed to shame them when it comes to sex to make people feel bad for being promiscuous and doing what they want and so on and so on. And, and there's some ways I appreciate that culture because I'm not into shaming. If all it does is belittle someone or make you feel better because you're standing above someone else, that's an awful attitude. But that's not what the culture is trying to do with this shaming, shaming attitude. It's trying to get people to not feel guilty, to not feel bad, and I'm against that because we're all broken. We're all guilty in different ways and to try and pretend we're not does no good because it's not honest. What is honest is coming to the Lord in my brokenness and saying thank you for what you've done in your son so that it's forgiven and wiped clean. That does something about it. Friends, we know we're guilty. Trying to shift the blame or pretend we don't need to feel bad never works long term. We know we're broken. We know we've let people down. We know that if there's a God, we've let him down. The Christian truth confirms to us we're guilty. We should be ashamed. And then it tells us that God loves us more than we could ever imagine and despite that. Christians never remain in shame because they're lifted up. We know that we've been forgiven totally, completely, we then know that despite what we were in ourselves, we're part of God's family, his son, his daughter, and we'll always be with him. That's being lifted up from the psalm. That's being healed. That's what makes us dance and sing because our God is mighty to save and he loves you. He loves you. And so as I close, I want to encourage all of us this morning, but for the rest of this year as well, learn from David in this psalm. If you're at a period in your life at the moment when you, where you think you're never going to be shaken, like you did in verse 6, don't be foolish. You will be. It'll change. So be thankful now while you're in this important part and be thoughtful now while you're in this part. 
But if you're in the midst of the tricky situation, the painful situation, cry out to the Lord like David did. He will not let you down. The superheroes may be good entertainment. Well, are they? Are they good entertainment? I don't know. But you have the privilege of calling on someone infinitely better. Your heavenly Father. And he is mighty to save for salvation, but also for the rest of life. Cry out to him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for David who wrote a psalm which certainly expresses many things uh, I see in my own heart and life and I'd be surprised if it wasn't the same for many of us here this morning. We thank you, Father, for him writing a psalm that points us to you, that reminds us in the midst of the mess and the brokenness of life, uh, we can call you our Heavenly Father, we can look to your Son as our Saviour and it changes everything. We thank you that you are indeed mighty to save. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.